0: Welcome to another life impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylightchurch Adelaide. Thanks, everyone. Um, I'm just going to read uh, our Bible readings for the message this morning. Uh, so, if you'd like to turn to Amos chapter nine. I'm going to read from verses verse one to verse fifteen, and that can be found on page one thousand four hundred nineteen if you're using the Bible in the pew. Now, Amos is one of our minor prophets towards the end of the Old Testament. Um, he's a shepherd from the south of Israel, and he is um, speaking to the north of Israel. Um, it's a really prosperous time for Israel at this time which means that there's actually quite a bit of corruption in the way that they're using their prosperity and wealth so that's what Amos is speaking into um, just a few decades before Israel is sent into exile as judgment. So starting from verse 1, I saw the Lord standing by the altar and he said, strike the tops of the pillars so that the thresholds shake, bring them down on the heads of all the people Those who are left I will kill with the sword. Not one will get away, none will escape. Though they dig down to the depths of the grave, from there my hand will take them. Though they climb up to the heavens, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, there I will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from me at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them though they are driven into exile by their enemies there i will command the sword to slay them i will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good the lord the lord almighty he who touches the earth and it melts and all who live in it mourn the whole land rises like the nile then sinks like the river of egypt He who builds his lofty palace in the heavens and sets its foundation on the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land, the Lord is his name. Are you not Israelites the same to me as the Cushites, declares the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt, the Philistines from Kaphtor and the Arameans from Kerr? Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom, I will destroy it from the face of the earth, yet I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For I will give the command and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations as grain is shaken in a sieve and not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword and those who say disaster will not overtake or meet us. In that day, I will restore David's fallen tent. I will repair its broken places, restore its ruins and build it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. I will bring back my exiled people, Israel. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. We'll now turn to uh, a reading from the Gospel of Luke. Uh, we'll be doing two short readings from Luke, one kind of at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and one towards the end of Jesus' ministry. So the first one will be uh, Luke chapter five, twenty-seven to 32 on page 1599 of the Pew Bibles. So this is, uh, Jesus has just healed a paralytic and called his disciples. He's kind of kicking off um, in his ministry now. Beginning at verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. And then we'll flip over to Luke 19 on page 1630 from verse 1 to verse 10. Uh, Jesus has just healed a blind man and he is kind of just about to... He's been speaking about his death as well, so heading towards the end of his ministry. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost.
1: thanks very much ellen Uh, good morning everyone it's nice to see you this morning my name's simon if i haven't met you before i'd love to catch up with you at the end of our gathering today i'm the lead pastor here it's really lovely to see you and uh, welcome uh, to our advent series as we continue to think about come thou long expected jesus Uh, this is week five in this little series we are in as we long to see the coming again of jesus christ Welcome to our church community today. Um, if you are a regular here, you'll know that I often get people to talk about something among yourselves as we get going. Um, I would love it if you would keep open, actually, Amos chapter 9. So if you attempted to close your Bible or whatever device you have, or you're still in Luke, go back to Amos 9. But while you're doing that, I'd love you to turn to the person next to you. Um, Some people say this, you might hear this little saying around the place. Uh, People say, I'll die a happy man, I'll die a happy woman when, or I'll die a happy man, I'll die a happy woman if. I want you to turn to the person next to you. How would you finish that little phrase? I'll die a happy man if, I'll die a happy woman if. Go, I'll give you 90 seconds for this one have a chat to the person what would make you happy if you were to die go have a cup okay Keep uh, keep whatever you've been thinking about if you thought about anything uh, Keep that in the back of your mind as we come to God's word this morning Would you pray with me as we ask God to help us to understand his word? Let's pray Our Father we pray this morning that as we come to your word by your spirit and through your word we would see jesus That by your spirit and through your word we would hear jesus and father we pray that by your spirit and through your word we would love jesus and father as we step into this morning afresh the hopes and expectations and dreams of your people of old uh, father please teach us Father, help us uh, to long for the return of Jesus where he will make all things new and take all those who know and love him to be with him and to enjoy him forever. And so, Father, wherever we find ourselves this morning, if we find ourselves here this morning confident in your promises, Father, build on that, encourage us. Father, for those of us this morning who are clinging on to your promises with the ends of our fingertips. Father, please do the same, encourage us. Father, for those of us here this morning not yet trusting in your promises, move us by your Spirit to do that, to trust Jesus, to keep trusting Jesus, in whose mighty name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase or that sort of thing that people do from time to time where they do say, I'll die a happy man or I'll die a happy woman, should such and such ever happen. I'll die a happy man if Richmond ever win the premiership again. I could be waiting a while. Some of us, though, have really noble things that they're longing for. I'll die a happy man, a happy woman when we eradicate the gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples here in Australia. I'll die a happy man, or die a happy woman when we see the end of sex trafficking around the globe. I'll die a happy man, a happy woman when we see the end of child poverty. They're beautiful aims in life, aren't they? Noble, important goals. Some of us have really big ones like that. Here's mine. I'll die a happy man if City Light Church North Adelaide, the members of it, come to know, love, and believe the fact that Adam and Eve were not museum curators. That's what you thought I'd say, right? Is that what you thought I'd say? That's your aim too, isn't it? Yeah. That's what you want before you die. Brothers and sisters, today is technically the second Sunday in the church calendar season called Advent. It's the fifth week in our series called Come Long Expected Jesus. Jesus. Christmas is coming really soon. Fifteen days to go, by the way, if you haven't realized. And how wonderful I think it is that we come to this chapter in the book of Amos, chapter 9, before us in this series in Advent. Because Amos wants to blow the doors off your Christmas 2023. He wants to widen the lens. He wants to increase the scale, whatever it is. In this prophecy about judgment, there is good news beyond compare. Have a look at chapter 9, verse 11. In that day, in that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins and will rebuild it as it used to be. Folks, I want want to take you forward this morning by taking you back to the very beginning, the world that God made for Adam and Eve, that world that God made for Adam and Eve was not a, a dusty museum that Adam and Eve were to preserve for all time. Adam and Eve were not museum curators. I think we sometimes think that they were, don't you? I do. You know, Because God said to Adam and Eve back in the garden, back in the very early parts of the Bible, God said to Adam and Eve in the garden, "You know, do not eat from this tree. And we can think, therefore, they weren't meant to touch anything at all. Isn't that what you do when you take your children to the museum in Adelaide? You know, don't touch anything, it's precious, just hands off, do it all the time. That's not right, is it? God placed Adam and Eve in the garden with a mission, and their mission was to make the world like the garden. Push back the boundaries of the garden until it covered the whole earth. Fill the earth, subdue it, be fruitful, multiply. Adam and Eve were meant to be artists, not curators. The world God made was an an art gallery full of white canvases all over the place, waiting to be painted, waiting to be made like Eden. And God put Adam and Eve as mini artists in his garden, made in the great artist's great image. Adam and Eve were then meant to make more little mini-artists, to fill the world with them. I mean, can you imagine a world, what the world would have been like if that had been like that, right? Full of humanity, working in perfect harmony together to push back the jungle, to turn the jungle into a garden, tending it, stewarding it, ruling it, and delighting in it. But instead, what did Adam and Eve do in the garden? What did they do? instead of painting on their first big blank canvas, well, they did what we all do, they took a selfie. They took a selfie. They turned inwards. And all you can see is them, not the great art, not the stunning expanse, it's like someone, I don't know, going to visit the Louvre in Paris or going to the Grand Canyon in the U.S. And, and standing in front of it and taking a selfie of themselves. They get home, they show someone, and all you can see is them, not the beautiful artwork or the, the great expanse unfolding. Friends, I wanted to show you, and I want us to know today as we look at this text in Amos that Christmas, at Christmas time, we remember the beginning of the end. We remember the beginning of the end of all that foolish rebellion in the garden. We remember instead the end for which God made the world, a world of beauty, a whole earth full of God's glory and his goodness. We remember that in the coming of the Lord Jesus. God takes what Adam and Eve were meant to do, and he gives that mission to a new Adam, A new Adam and says, that this time, through this one, this man, this son, he will do it. He will do it. You see, Christmas is the beginning of the end. It's when we see God's promises made visible and tangible and touchable, that what God said he would do, he will do. That's what Christmas is. And so to show you that, I'm sure you noticed this as Ellen was reading Amos chapter 9. There was a change in tone in Amos chapter 9 at verse 11. The passage, therefore, falls into two halves. We'll look at these two halves this morning. Verses 1 to 10, I want to show you the inescapable extent of God's judgment. The inescapable extent of God's judgment. And then verses 11 through 15, the indestructible beauty of God's promise. The indestructible beauty of God's promise. Let's start at point one, the inescapable extent of God's judgment, verses 1 to 10. Verses 1 to 10, if you were listening, are kind of terrible if you are listening. They are full on. You know, here in verses 1 to 10 is a promise of real judgment at the hand of the Assyrian army that actually really happened. There was a day in history when all of verses 1 to 10 came true. Verses 1 to 10 sit here as a picture of what God's judgment is like. They're a picture of hell. Verses 11 through 15, it's a picture of heaven. We tend to think about judgment, don't we, with those two kind of names or those two nouns, heaven and hell, two destinations that the world is traveling towards. It's true. They are the two ends, two overall names given to the future reality for all of creation. But often the way we think about hell and the way we think about heaven lack the deep structures of how the Bible portrays them to us. The Bible uses pictures, and Amos is a master of of poetry and images, and he paints for us the coming reality with, with depth and color and feeling to make us want to run from one and run towards the other. Hell and heaven are real, says Amos, but look. You know, they are like the destruction of a building versus the restoration of a building. They are like people frantically fleeing for their lives versus people laughing as they come home. Heaven and hell are like a ruined world versus a renewed, restored world. And here in Amos 9, we have these two contrasting pairs side by side to make the point. In verses one to 10, Amos wants us to know wants us to know about judgment, that it is inescapable. Judgment is inescapable for all of us. Judgment will come one day for everyone who has not run back to the gardener whose garden we've trashed. The only way to be safe is to run back to God, not away from God. And for everyone who spends their life pretending with God or avoiding God or running from him, there is only judgment. I want to show you three pictures in these first 10 verses. Three things we need to know. Firstly, when judgment comes, there is no protection in false religion. When judgment comes, no protection in false religion. Look with me at verse 1. I saw the Lord standing. Where? I saw the Lord standing where? By the altar. Where does this vision take place? This vision takes place in the temple. In the temple, I saw the Lord standing by the altar. Where does judgment fall? In the temple. Strike the tops of the pillars, Amos writes, so that the thresholds shake. Bring them down on the heads of all the people. Do you see it? When judgment comes, there is no safety in religion. It's often what happens in wars. Make it to the temple, make it to the church, make it to the cathedral, lock the doors. There's international immunity and safety there. But no, says the Lord, not here with me. Now what's happened here in verse 1 is this. It's very likely that verse 1 describes something that King Jeroboam has started doing in the north of Israel. Jeroboam, King Jeroboam, had led 10 of the 12 tribes out of the south part of of Israel up to the north. He'd formed them into what he thought was a new kingdom. He'd split the people of God in half. And in the north, away from the true temple in the south, Jeroboam set himself up as a king and a priest in a new temple, a pretend temple. He'd started a new religion with all of his own religious kind of festivals to go with it. If you want to read more about that, go to 1 Kings 12 to 13. It'll detail it all for you. It's the background I think of Amos 9 verse 1. But Jeroboam was a counterfeit priest at a counterfeit feast, presiding at a counterfeit altar propping up a counterfeit monarchy it's as if chapter 9 verse 1 amos is i think in amos's mind he sees the fake giving way to the real the pretend king standing at the pretend altar and he realises that standing behind him is the lord amos sees the fake giving way to the real this is god's world not yours jeroboam The altar is God's, not yours, to preside at. The temple is God's house, not your house. And God is angry when people use religion in the service of politics. That's what Amos is angry about. That's what God is angry about. God is angry when people use their religion to shelter the abuser, use their religion to protect the oppressor. That's the big message of this minor prophet Amos. God is angry when when people use religion to inoculate themselves against God, or so they hope, you know, just enough religion to keep God, you know, on the shelf or God at arm's length. Carols by candlelight at Christmas time once a year, yeah, of course. But following Jesus in the way of the cross, not so sure. And God is angry, Amos says. We need to be really clear here. Judgment here is not falling on all of God's people. Look with me at verse 8. Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. He continues in verse 9. For I will give the command and I will shake the people of Israel among all the nations as grain is shaken in a sieve and not a pebble will reach the ground. In other words, those who are truly mine are not going to fall to the earth. God is sifting his people. Those falling by the sword here are the ones who, I don't know, rock up to church in their Sunday best, drive into the car park in their big cars, and yet have been laying off their staff for months at work, letting them go hungry. That's what Amos has in mind here. The religious rich who despise justice. Friends, it's the people who use religion to make themselves comfortable instead of realising that the point of it all was to always make the world a garden, to make the world beautiful. There's There's no protection in false religion. Secondly, when judgment comes, there is no safety in flight. Did you notice how comprehensive it is from from verse 2? Look with me. Though they dig down to the depths below, from there my hand will take them. Though they climb up to the heavens above, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, there I will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from my eyes at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them. Though they are driven into exile by their enemies, there I will command the sword to slay them. If they go to the highest mountain, the top of the highest mountain in the world, still I will be there. Do you notice each time it says, like, if they go, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will find them? If they go down to the depths, even, even if they feel like they're safe going off into captivity. That's why we have these astonishing verses in 5 and 6. The God who made the earth, do you think he can't reach us and find us wherever we go? Verse 5 The Lord the Almighty, he touches the earth and psh, melts. And all who live in it mourn. The whole land rises like the Nile and sinks like the river of Egypt. He builds his lofty palace in the heavens and sets foundations on the earth. He calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the face of the land. The Lord is his name. You need to know. We need to know, says Amos. There's no safety from God's judgment in flight. And thirdly, verse 7, when judgment comes, there's no immunity in privilege there's no immunity in privilege verse 7 are not you Israelites the same to me as the Cushites declares the Lord did I not bring Israel up from Egypt the Philistines from Kaphtor and the Arameans or the Syrians from Kerr what's going on here what's Amos saying in effect he's kind of going look you and I know like you Israelites we are the people who have a, a special date in our calendar don't we a special date in our past that we get to look back to and we think that that event, that date in our past, kind of, I don't know, grants us privilege and immunity. Isn't that what the Lord's saying here? You're the people I redeemed out of Egypt, aren't you? Of course you are. I brought you out and God's people say, there it is, the exodus, we're safe. We've got that big event in our past that that puts us on God's side once and for all. That's what happens, isn't it? I was baptised 7th of May, 1979. I can take you home and show you the certificate. I was converted to the Lord Jesus Christ in the Adelaide Hills at a coffee shop, June 2001. I used to, I used to, I used to, are used to in the past. See what God's saying? Look, Israel, you are not the only nation whose migration I oversaw from one land to another. See again, verse 7. Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt? Yes. Did I not also move the Philistines from Caftor and the Syrians from Ker? Yep. Israel, the fact that I took you from Egypt to the promised land does not make you unique. I've done similar things with lots of nations all over the earth. What makes you special, Israel, is that I took you from Egypt to Canaan to be my people, to know me, to love me, to be with me, to obey me. That's what makes you special, to be like me. So where are you now? Loving your neighbour as yourself that's what I want to see. And what Amos asks actually all the way through this book, God is saying, I haven't seen much of that for a long, 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 long time, yet you keep banging on about the exodus. There's no immunity in privilege, there's no protection in false religion, there's no safety in flight. Friends, When judgment comes, Amos says, it will be inescapable in its extent. And rather than this being fearful, brothers and sisters, I want us to see the opposite. I want us to see the tremendous comfort here for us. And the reason why there's tremendous comfort here is just look at the world around us. Everything that's happening right now on the news and everything that makes social media go ballistic, right? It's all about inequality and injustice. We hate inequality. Inequality makes us stand up and protest. I remember watching several years ago the film "A Twelve Years a Slave." I don't know if anyone's seen 12 Years a Slave." Um, it's worth watching if you have a strong constitution or stomach. Um, the portrayal of slavery in that film is so graphically horrific that you just every fibre of your being like wants to turn away from it, right? But then the other fibres that are left over in your body sort of are going like, but to not watch it would be actually kind of morally wrong because what's portrayed there actually happened and it was really awful. We hate inequality. We hate injustice, don't we? We want justice that reaches down to everybody, the rich and the powerful and influential and the well-connected who get all the best lawyers and can pull all the right strings. No, we hate that the color of skin or gender, when it automatically affects the emotional judgments a jury makes before a word is even spoken in court. We hate it. And friends, Amos is saying in our fallen world, judgments made in our justice system are rarely gonna reach far enough, rarely reach being true enough. We are internally skewed. We are so bent out of shape. We are so societally controlled, so influenced. Justice is there, but it's imperfect. It is rarely the same for all. And Amos says, however, that day will end. That day will end. One day, God's reach will be inescapable. All will be treated as they deserve. It will be inescapable in its extent. Justice will come perfectly. But friends, I want to finish with this. It's wonderful to have this at the end, verses 11 through 15. God's judgment will be inescapable in its extent, but secondly, the indestructible beauty of God's promises. These last verses from 11 through 15. What God called for at the start of time, he will see through at the end. Hell at the end of the day is a ruined world, a collapsed temple. Hell is a fleeing people. They're the pictures that Amos puts before us. But what will heaven be like? Verse 11, heaven is a rebuilt world, a new temple, a feasting people. In verse 1, God's destroying the temple. In verse 11, he's rebuilding it. He's restoring it. What did God promise King David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7? Do you remember? God promised to David, great David, he said, Your throne will be established forever. Your kingdom will have no end. And the one who sits on the throne will rule and reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? On the indestructible beauty of God's promise. Hear it, Amos is saying, Yes, judgment is coming. Yes, it's real. But so too is great David's greatest son coming. His promises are indestructibly beautiful. And just look at why they're beautiful, the way they're beautiful. Some of you will get this immediately. All the promises in verses 11 to 15 are kind of to do with food and harvest and bounty and plenty. Amos is saying days are coming when this earth will yield a lavish abundance, a spontaneous abundance you see the beauty of verse 13? If you're familiar with farming, you'll know it. Um, the one who ploughs and the one who reaps normally work at different times of year. I, I'm not really from a farming background. I was recently on the Eyre Peninsula where I got to ride on a header for the first time. So much fun. Um, if you're looking for a wild experience to give someone for a Christmas present this year, find a farmer, I don't know, pay him a few dollars and say, take my kids on a header. It was so good. But you know the header is there, it's driving through the paddock and it's harvesting the crop, right? But when you're in a field, this is, I mean, I'm just learning these things, right? When you're in a the the, harvester, the, the, the the harvester and the plowman don't work at the same time of the year, yeah? They never work together. They're never in the field at the same time. You don't plow and you don't reap together. Amos is saying, imagine a day Imagine a day when the sower of one crop will find the reaper of the last crop still at work because there's just so much of it. Yeah? You go out to sow and the farmer is still there harvesting the last crop. You just can't gather it in. You know what heaven will be like? It'll be like permanent harvest time. Isn't that amazing? It's so good. Have a look at this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading the grapes. You'll just not stop pressing this stuff into vats and crushing it and drinking it and taking it in. Often in the ancient world, right, a king would hold a great feast at a time when he wanted to make a a special announcement. If there was a great royal wedding happening or some other special occasion, it looks like God is doing that here. He has an announcement to make to the whole world. He's going to do something and he's going to build David's house again. But before he does that, just take a look at what he's saying. At the end... At the end, when the Lord Jesus comes back and makes all things new, there will be a feast. We will feast. There'll be a banquet. And there's no shortcuts here in verses 13 through 15. There's no cost cutting. There's no budget constraints. There's no mid-pandemic empty shelves. There's no post-pandemic supply chain issues. It's just a banquet. And that's what we like about banquet with just abundance, don't we? We love to go to a banquet where there's just food spewing out everywhere, and fine wines. You you never go to a shortcut banquet, do you? You never go to a shortcut banquet. You know, unless you're an an impoverished university student with little. No one ever says, come over to my budget party. It's going to be great. We've cut back big time. Uh, There's not much to eat. There's nothing to drink. But come over. It'll be great. No one says that. Now look what God, God in verse 13 says, I am giving you dripping sweet wine, gardens full of fruit. In the Bible, brothers and sisters, God is a spender. He is a spender. He is a lavish spender, an extravagant host. God is the gardener, the best gardener of all time, and he sees his work teeming with fruit. And we know this. The theme of eating and banqueting runs all the way through the Bible. What was the Garden of Eden meant to be? A garden to eat from. The most bountiful, fruitful, beautiful garden ever. There was only one tree which we were not permitted to eat from, but everything else was theirs to eat. How is the the promised land described? A land flowing with milk and honey and figs and grapes that would hang from your trees and spew over your garden fence. Why? Because food means fellowship, food means closeness and relationship. You know this in your own family and Christmas, right? Always exposes this, doesn't it? It's not easy to eat with people who you don't really like. It's hard to have Christmas lunch with people you're out of relationship with. It's kind of awkward. Food is fundamentally about sharing, giving and receiving in closeness. What do we see Jesus doing in the gospel accounts? He preaches, yep. He heals people, of course. And we see him eating. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They asked. One scholar has said that if you Open Luke's gospel, Luke's account of the, the person and work, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you read it from beginning to end, you constantly see Jesus either going from one meal on his way to another, just toing and froing. It's great. And the reason for that, I think, is found back here in Amos chapter 9, verse 11. This is what God is doing, He's rebuilding. He says, the the ruined cities that lie desolate and the entrance to every house is barred. That's what happens in Amos, right? There are no entry signs all over the city. You cannot enter, you cannot enter, you cannot enter. That's what happens in our world. People are told that all the time. You're not good enough. You're not rich enough. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not qualified enough. You're not young enough. And door after door is closed. closed. And yet, in the promised city of God, it is the complete opposite. It is a rebuilt and reopened city. The gates of the city are wide open and all may come in. All may come in. You know, even if you have the biggest budget and you're the biggest spender, there's always a limit, isn't there? It's what we probably need to know if you're able to come to Christmas Eve community lunch so we know, you know, how much to have because the quantities are not limited. Will it be 20 people, 30 people, 60? We probably need to know. Tom and Maggie Cowald are throwing open their doors on Christmas Day for a lunch. They probably would do well to know roughly who's coming because the food won't be unlimited. Maybe, I don't know. Let them know if you can come. <laughs> Tom's a big eater, by the way. They say, no. But look at the size of the dinner table that'll be at the banquet in the new creation that God's pulling together. Verse 12 so that they may possess the remnant of Eden and all the nations that bear my name. All the nations. All the nations. Even with the biggest heart, there are always people who you and I would struggle to invite. We leave people out. But why does Jesus dine with tax collectors and with sinners? It's because he's calling all the nations all the nations to his throne all the nations to his banquet it's because the food he shares shows that felt the fellowship that he brings breaks down barriers and rebuilds his house and his people again jesus gives access to rebels he eats with people who aren't doing the right thing at the right time and in the right way He came to love and to rescue and to save people who do not love him. I read this a while ago. I thought these words were beautiful. Quote, We, you and me, are the whores made brides. We are the thieves made saints. We are the killers made apostles. We are the foreigners made citizens. We are the hungry made full." We are the beggars made princes. We are the garden vandals, restored to being the garden stewards and the guardians of the most wonderful estate. Brothers and sisters, I wanna be the very first today to wish you a very happy Christmas. No one's done that as yet, I hope, in your life. Maybe I'm the first, maybe they have. But I wanna wish you a wonderfully happy Christmas. For Christmas is the beginning of the end. It's the beginning of a world restored, a universe made new. For in the arrival of great David's greatest son, our Lord Jesus Christ has come with it the hopes of the new creation. That's why we sang it earlier. O come, O key of David, come. I don't know if you knew what you were singing back then. O come, O key of David, come. What do keys do? They normally open doors, don't they? Come and open wide our heavenly home. Jesus opens the door to a new temple, a new Jerusalem. He opens the way to a new creation. Jesus will lead you to a universe reborn. Trust him. Keep trusting him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you uh, for your promise and we praise you in anticipation of its fulfillment. We long for the day when there will be no more sin, no more injustice, no more inequality. We long for the day with no more sorrow and no more suffering. Father, where you'll wipe away every tear from our eyes, And everything will be perfect. Our relationship with you, our relationship with each other, our relationship with the world around us in a new creation, in a new heaven and a new earth. Father, we look forward to that day when every nation and every tribe and every tongue and every people group in the world will gather around your throne and enjoy your presence at a wonderful feast with you and one another. Father, we long for this new day. So come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, Visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.